Buddham Dhammang Sangham Namasam There's a, a Dhammapada verse, verse 198, which says, Whilst in the midst of those who are miserable, to dwell free from misery is happiness indeed. What I would suggest this teaching is saying is we need to be our own being and not be defined by the moods of people around us. There's a story associated with this teaching, whether it's literally an accurate record or whether it's apocryphal or a moot point. However, it still adds something to the teaching. And According to this story, the Buddha found out that there was an argument between two villages on either side of the river Rohini. It was at a time of drought and the level of the river had gone down. There wasn't enough water to supply the rice fields on both sides of the river. The Buddha had relatives living in both villages and they were arguing to the point where they were about to go to war and they were gathering weapons. And so the Buddha on this occasion intervened and had the teachings and pointing out the foolishness of war and talking about rivers of blood and and then this was part of the teachings that he gave them on that occasion. Whilst in the midst of those who are miserable, to dwell free from misery is happiness indeed. How to remain clear and calm when we're surrounded by people who are not clear and calm? That's the question. And I think 2,600 years ago in India, and here we are in 2023 in the United Kingdom, plenty of unhappy people around. How do we stay true to ourselves when we're in the midst of such situations? Now it can feel like, maybe, when we hear this teaching, that it's not appropriate to be happy when people around us are unhappy. We somehow should be feeling miserable with them. However, the Buddha is quite clear that that's not wise to allow ourselves to be defined by the moods of people around us, whether they're our own family who we care about very much or whether they're our work colleagues or whether it's politicians or whoever it is, to let the moods of other people define us from the Buddhist perspective, is not wise and it's not helpful. It doesn't help others if we let ourselves be defined by the moods of others. So what is it that means that we get pulled down into feeling unhappy just because people around us are unhappy? There's, there's plenty in the world for sure to feel sad about. We're not talking about pretending everything's wonderful and however feeling sad about that which is 
that which is regrettable is not the same as becoming miserable and getting lost in negative states of heart, states of mind. There's also a lot in the world that is really wonderful. There's a lot in this life that's beautiful and potentially and the opportunities to really dwell on that which is really relevant you know, to exercise our hearts and minds in a way whereby we build up that which is truly worthy. So it's not the case that that we're born miserable, generally speaking. As children, yes, we get upset, and all children get upset. However, if you notice, they generally get over it very quickly. Most children, most situations, when they get upset, they get over it and back to playing games again, having a great time. What is it that happens to us that as we get older, we tend to get more miserable? That's going on. Why can't we just get over being upset and get on with life again? If we look at our own lives or look at people around us, it's very normal to see people carrying a burden, a big burden, remorse, or regret, or anger, or sadness. And, and what's going on there? Well, the Buddha's explanation of this predicament that we find ourselves in is to do with the Pali word is upadana, which is the obstruction of the heart that we talk about as clinging and clinging. Not holding mindfully, of course. Holding mindfully, that's one thing, that's sensible. Like how do you hold a cup of tea so you can drink it? Well, that's holding it. Clinging to it, grasping it, that's something else. You need break the handle off the, the cup if you hold it too tightly. Or if you're driving a vehicle, holding the steering wheel, that's important. However, if you hold it too tightly, if you grasp it, you're rigid, you can end up having accidents. There's a, a right way of holding life, experience. And if we don't study this carefully, and I mean really study it in our whole being, not just in our heads, we don't study it, then this is where we make mistakes. This is what the Buddha highlighted over and over again. It's this upadana, it's this clinging business, it's this obstructed heart that we suffer from. This is where the problem is. It's, it's not life. You know, everybody goes around, stubs their toe, or bangs their elbow, or gets a headache. This is normal. That's If you've got a body, these things happen. That's called pain. Suffering is something extra that is born out of what? Born out of upadana, born out of clinging, born out of obstructing. We resist the experience. And this is where we start to go out of balance and we end up accumulating a big backlog of denied dukkha. And it's a burden and it's very painful. A lot of people suffer from it. All people, I would say, suffer from it until they do something about it. Now, doing something about it is, to start off with, having the good fortune to hear these teachings. It's not the case that we're lacking, generally speaking, if we've got enough food, clothing, shelter, medicine, it's not 
the case that you know, there's anything on the outer world that's the problem, it's something that we're doing inwardly, it's the way we're holding life, the way we're holding experience. And we need to study this and, and understand it. So in the beginning we have the theory and it's great if we get the theory, then we need to be careful to make sure that we don't just settle for that level of understanding. If we're already out of balance and identified in our thinking mind and believe we are our thoughts, unfortunately become disembodied and disconnected with what's going on in our hearts, and then the thought of clinging might appear to us to be the solution. Oh, because we understand, oh, Upadana, oh, that's a brilliant analysis of the cause of suffering. That's, the Buddha is amazing. And, uh, this clinging is it's a real problem. However, the concept of clinging and the actuality of clinging are completely different realities. And this is important. We, we, we want these teachings to be relevant. We want these teachings to make a difference in our lives and in the world we live in. Then we need to do much more than just understanding about the reason why we accumulate a burden of suffering and feel deeply obstructed in life. We need to do much more than just understand about it. It's like the difference between the concept of anesthesia. You can study anesthesia, all about anesthetics, the chemistry of anesthetics, what happens. When they were discovered, it was only, it was only about 150 years ago that anesthetics were discovered. And we can study all about the history and the chemistry of anesthetics and know a lot about anesthetics. The reality of anesthesia is incredibly different from the concept. There's only, a, you know, as I say, 150 years ago, if you having an operation, they just <laughs> tie you down the table and stick a bit of wood in your mouth so they don't hear you scream. And, you know, atrocious, unbearable pain that people would go through when they had surgery. There was no anesthesia. 150 years ago, they just cut you open. And, you know, the concept of anesthesia, fascinating. And spend years studying it, write books about it, explain it, and give lectures on it. The reality of anesthesia, is something else altogether. So it is with clinging, with the obstructed heart. What is the obstructed heart actually? Where does it come from? How does it happen? Can we see it happening? Can we see what we're doing when we're doing this obstruction? So studying this, this territory means letting go of just finding gratification and having a conceptual understanding of the cause of suffering and, and come into the body and investigate our relationship with feelings. Early on in life, and as children, we discover that we can manipulate our feelings. You know, good feelings, like if you're hungry and somebody gives you some, some delicious food to eat and you just indulge in the healing of gratifying this desire for food and then afterwards you feel got a full feeling you just feel so so good and you just you know, indulge in it and that's an option and if we don't have wise teachings then maybe we just keep doing that and in the process what we <laughs> don't realize 
sadly, we're also doing is developing the habit of indulging in, clinging to, collapsing the, the field of awareness around painful feelings. Feelings are just feelings. And if we indulge in positive feelings, we're going to indulge in negative feelings. To think we can indulge in one and not indulge in the other is, is that's very foolish. It's like if you put your hand into water, you're sitting by a stream and you put your hand in the stream and you think, well, I just want the back of my hand to get wet. I don't want the front of my hand to get wet. That's ridiculous. You put your hand in water, the front and the back of the hand are going to get wet. If you cling to feelings, you're going to cling to both positive and negative feelings, to happiness and unhappiness, to gladness and sadness. And the not knowing of this, the not understanding this, has the result, the very painful result, and the very dangerous result, of meaning that when we suffer, we really suffer. We suffer badly. We don't just feel a little bit of pain and then get over it. We feel the pain and then we cling to it, we indulge in it. And we don't even know we're doing it. We don't even know why we're doing it. You get in a bad mood and then you just absorb into it. Why do you absorb into the bad mood and it arises? Because we absorb into the pleasant mood. And gladness arises and we allow ourselves to get lost in that. When sadness arises, we've got no choice. We will get lost in it. And it really hurts. It hurts badly. People, as a result, get depressed. Most people are chronically unhappy. And why is that? Because this habit of clinging, this habit born out of unawareness, means that it's so painful when we have these negative feelings that we start to numb ourselves against feelings. And the more affluence we have, the more opportunities we have for numbing ourselves against negative feelings. People who don't have a great deal of affluence don't have a lot of opportunities to avoid the negative feelings. They've just got to deal with them, get on with life, keep working and feel the pain of life and feel through it and deal with it. The more affluent people are, the more opportunities there are for avoiding the negative feelings. Go to the fridge and get a pizza and go and some entertainment and something, anything, to distract ourselves from the really painful feelings that have arisen. As a result of that, we end up denying not just negative feelings, but we end up denying all feelings, and we start to go numb. And this is very normal. Probably around about the age of mid-twenties, people start to feel like, wow, there's something missing here. What is it that's missing? What's missing is the aliveness. The aliveness we used to feel when we were children, or maybe a little bit longer. This aliveness has has disappeared. And then the thought arises, oh, there's something missing. I've got to get something more. Well, of course, that, that appeals to those that market material products and holidays and entertainment. They go on, yes, you are missing something. You need a new holiday. Yes, you need some more distraction. Yes, you need more gadgets, something to make you feel happy. Well, the Buddha's solution is it's not that you need more. Actually, you need less. We need less clinging. And if we don't see this, then we just keep compensating for this feeling of the lack of aliveness. There's something missing, this numbness, this hole within us, giving ourselves treats. And maybe they sort of work 
for a little while, have another holiday and different experiences and different foods and and it distracts us from the unpleasant feelings that we were suffering from and we feel somewhat alive for a while. And if we're not careful what happens, the, the good feeling that arises once the bad feeling of numbness and the loss of aliveness has, has appeared, that the good feeling arises, we attach to that, get lost in that, and then we just increase the momentum of the cycle. It's called samsara in Buddhist language. Being born into happiness and then dying out of it. Happiness and sadness and this endless indulging and denying feelings. And if we don't know what we're doing, we tend to very easily think there's something wrong with the world. Well, it's not there's anything wrong other than unawareness. Just not seeing that we are obstructing the aliveness. We have this habit of indulging in pleasure and then indulging in pain. Life becomes too painful to bear, so then we deny feelings. Not just painful feelings, we deny all feelings. And then the heart goes numb and goes cold. Well, the Buddha's solution to this is there is an answer to it. And all his teachings are basically are different answers to this condition that we have of the obstructed heart. One of the solutions that he held up and encouraged was the cultivation of honesty or the developing such a parami, really emphasizing the ability to pay attention to that which is real, that which is true, and to cultivate an interest in that which is true. And it's not just about speaking truth to other people, also being true to ourselves, being honest with ourselves. For instance, if we have a little spiritual practice going and we decide, oh, I'm going to get up in the morning at 5.30 and, and do half an hour meditation before I do my exercise routine and, and have breakfast and go to work. And then we wake up at 5.30 and say, oh, no, no, this is, that's not a good idea. No, what I really need is a bit of a rest and extra rest. And, mm-hmm. Is that true? Is that really true? Or are we just kidding ourselves? Or laziness. Somebody recently asked me, how do you deal with the sense of not being able to motivate yourself to do the boring tasks of life? A lot of life is boring and tedious and and the work needs to be done. And, And this person seemed to be struggling to encourage themselves to do the work that they didn't want to do, though it needed to be done. And if we're really committed to being honest, then we can look into that. What's, what is it that's getting in the way? Sometimes when we lack motivation to do that which we need to do or that which we want, which we want to do on one level, there's something obstructing it. Are we honest enough with ourselves to own up to that which is obstructing it. Like, for instance, when I don't get what I want, I get angry. Now, early on in life, we learn it's not safe to get angry. If you get angry, you're going to get rejected. And so we start pretending we're not angry. I am not angry, gritting our teeth. I am not angry. I do not hate my mother right now. I do not hate my father. 
I remember once when I wanted my father to let me have the car and he wouldn't let me have it and I was furiously angry. Of course I didn't tell him about it, it wouldn't have helped. So what do we do? Do we exercise here and now whole being judgment free awareness and feel the consequence of becoming angry until we can let go of it or do we deny it? Once again our habits of, of clinging means that we get very good at denying what we actually feel and we end up compulsively lying to ourselves. We push the feeling down into the belly and pretend, I am not angry, I am not angry, or I am not sad. So feel rejected by somebody and feel really hurt and say, oh no, being sad is a sign of weakness, I am not sad. So. There are lots of incidents in our early life, I'm sure we can all think of them, where we learn to deny what we feel until and, and it becomes a chronic habit. And we don't even know we're doing it and it affects our nervous system. There's a functional capacity of the heart, which we've talked about before, whereby in a situation like, for instance, if you need to do public speaking and you're feeling very nervous, you don't just stand up there and, and shake and tremble and freak out and just say, I can't do this, I can't do this. No, no, you park that feeling of nervousness in your belly and hold it there and say what needs to be said. Do the public speaking. And then afterwards, the smart thing to do, because you don't want to have that denied dukkha stuck in your belly, you're on your own, you've got some quiet time, you sit down, Take a few deep breaths and welcome that feeling. Go back in the situation, feel the feeling. Feel what it really felt like to be really nervous, to be really scared. Really feel, really own, really take full responsibility, really be really honest. I was really afraid, or I was really angry, or I am really angry. To really be honest with it. Now, this is not easy to do, and when these habits become chronic, they fall into unawareness. And all we know is that we feel acutely lazy. I mean, every time we meditate, we just start falling asleep. What's that all about? Well, if we're committed to honesty, then we can ask ourselves, what is that all about, really? Come out of our head, not just think about it. Come into the heart, open-hearted awareness, and feel what we feel. When we start to do this practice, it can be very intimidating, because as we've spoken about many times before, there can be a big backlog of denied dukkha. It's hard to deal with. So let's not be intimidated by it. If we're committed to honesty, just well, if it's there, I want to see it. If there's sadness there, I want to see the sadness. If there's anger there, I want to see the anger. If there's disappointment, I want to see the disappointment. And remember to keep the heart open, to be patient to be gentle, soften around that pain, let it be there, even if it's physically painful. Not struggling to get rid of anything, not struggling to get past it. If you try too hard, you might actually give yourself a heart attack. That would be seriously regrettable. We're not struggling to get over our habits of denied dukkha. Rather, quietly, humbly, gently, exercising interest in being honest about what's there. 
And if there's nothing there, that's fine. And some people think they've got to dig down and find out the, the causes for their suffering. Maybe you're just feeling bored uh, because there's nothing interesting happening. And that takes a level of honesty. It's very normal. Parents who fall into the trap of thinking that the children are supposed to always be interested and always be happy. There's a lot in life that's not interesting. A lot of life that's sad. And it's absolutely fine for children to sometimes feel disinterested, to feel bored. And if in that situation they get angry about it, well then to feel angry about it. Now that doesn't mean to say you have to act on the anger. That's something else. That's being irresponsible. But to really feel what it feels like to feel angry in the body. To feel what it feels like to be bored without denying the fact that we find it irritating. An addiction to the pleasure of always having something scintillating happening. It takes a degree of honesty to own up to that. So this habit of clinging, of obstructing the heart, causes us all sorts of difficulties. We end up going out of balance and we forget how to be our own being, fall into the trap of buying into the mood of those around us. And there's lots of techniques encouraging people and ways to access the open-hearted state, a state of aliveness that we all long for. Be doing extreme sports and, and feel very alive singing hymns, chanting bhajans, meditating, using meditation techniques. All of these systems, techniques, religions potentially can offer access to the open-hearted state. However, even if they do work and we rediscover the feeling of aliveness that perhaps we remember from a distant past and we long for, at that point, let's also remember to be very careful not to just repeat the old pattern of clinging. It's very normal when people get full of shakti chanting bhajans or bliss singing hymns or happiness from meditation and then projecting onto the form. We've got to do more singing hymns, more chanting bhajans, more meditation rather than reflecting on what's really happened here. Like when you're doing chanting, short in-breaths, long out-breaths, combined with devotion and respect, gratitude for the teachings, it's quite possible that it can take you into a, a quiet and tranquil, open-hearted, peaceful, agreeable state of being. However, if we project onto the chanting and don't really pay attention to what's actually taking place, then we can just become more deluded, become attached to chanting, become attached to going on meditation retreats, become attached to hang gliding, <laughs> projecting onto the forms that which belongs to the spirit. So again, it takes, a, it takes a degree of honesty. If you ever ask yourself, what's really going on here? What, what really is the source of well-being? Is it 
the technique, is it the structure, is it the form, is it the outer activity, or is it the state of heart that we're experiencing? If it's the state of heart that we're experiencing, then let's be careful to, yes, appreciate the joy, the positivity, the hope, the goodness that comes from accessing the open-hearted state. And inhibit the tendencies to indulge in it. It's easy to talk about this, however, the habit of indulging is very difficult to undo. It's much easier to just assume that it's the form that made me happy. It's going to see the teacher that made me happy. It's going on a holiday that made me happy. And the happiness is to do with whether the heart is open and alive or not. It's not necessarily what's going on outside. Those, those are just the forms. So long as reflective intelligence is not active, so long as we're not really looking inwards, feeling inwards, considering honestly, asking ourselves the right questions at the right time in the right way, then we're going to keep expecting the external conditions to give us a sense of fulfillment. And when the external conditions are are great, we feel good about it. When they're not great, then we feel bad about it. And we're slaves to the world. And blaming the world for our unhappiness. Blaming the world for our unhappiness, it's like it's like walking in the snow with bare feet and complaining it's cold. Well, what else do we expect? Thank you very much for taking your attention. Mayam Tamo Adanyata Sadhu Karam Dadamase <laughs>